Welcome to Ancient Words, Modern Message. I'm your host, Roger Womble. The past is a mirror, and the more we examine what came before us, the more we can understand where we are heading. All too often, people think that going through the motions of religion is good enough. But what God really wants is those who will love him and know him in a personal way. That's the heart of the prophet Hosea's message to Israel, as we will see in this seventh episode of I Love You Truly, studies in the book of Hosea. I should say to you, by the way, don't worry about how you pronounce the name of the prophet, Hosea. The Hebrew pronunciation is probably more like Hosea, but the anglicization of that, the English pronunciation, is typically, commonly, Hosea. And then, of course, there's the Hispanic version, which is Jose. Are you there? Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, so don't worry about how you pronounce it. However you say it, um, it, is, uh, it is the prophet Hosea. And we need to take just, just a brief time to do a quick review. I remind you that the book of Hosea, Hosea is one of the 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, those 12 books, which are the last 12 books of the Old Testament in, in our grouping of the books of the Old Testament, those 12 books are the minor prophets. They're called that not because they are less important than the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, but simply because they are shorter. They're not as long as Isaiah or Jeremiah. And so they've gotten the name the Minor Prophets. And you will remember that in the history, the Old Testament history of the nation of Israel, uh, that uh, when King Solomon, David's son, when King Solomon died, uh, it was around 900 BC, something like that, the year 900 BC, that the, the natural succession of the United Kingdom of Israel, the Jewish people, uh, would have been Solomon's son, whose name was Rehoboam, would be uh, would be chosen and would be placed as the king of all of Israel. You'll remember that the counselors, the advisors of Rehoboam, when Solomon died, pulled him aside and said, Oh, king, may you live forever. I'm sure they said that. Oh, king, may you live forever. Uh, we would like to give you some advice. And the advice is, under your father, the people paid an awful lot of taxes. Because for one thing, they had to build the temple in Jerusalem. And that was expensive. That wasn't cheap. And there were other things that were going on to expand the kingdom. And so your father really heavily taxed the people. So our advice to you, O king, may you live forever. Our advice to you is that you lower the taxes. Typical politician, he chose to ignore his counselors and advisors and decided that rather than lowering the taxes, he would actually raise the taxes. 
And he did that, and the result was a revolution, a rebellion. It was led by a man named Jeroboam. And as I said, that was around 900 BC. And the 10 tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel, not counting the tribe of Levi, remember that would be basically the 13th tribe, but the tribe of Levi was set aside for special service in the temple. And that leaves 12 tribes, the two sons of Joseph uh, being the the ones that would fill out the number to 12. And 10 of those 12 tribes lived in the central and northern part of Israel. And those tribes, the 10 tribes, followed Jeroboam. And the result was the northern kingdom of Israel. The largest of those 10 tribes was the tribe of Ephraim or Ephraim. And so oftentimes the northern kingdom of Israel, those 10 tribes, are simply called Ephraim or Ephraim. The two tribes that remained, that remained loyal uh, to Rehoboam, were uh, Benjamin and Judah in the southern kingdom. And those are oftentimes, that southern kingdom is oftentimes simply referred to as Judah. So you have the northern kingdom from 900 BC on, and the southern kingdom Uh, Ephraim, and Judah. The prophet Hosea was called to be a prophet primarily to the northern kingdom. And Hosea chapter 1 verse 1 tells us that Hosea uh, ministered as a prophet during the reign of four different kings of Judah and during the reign of Jeroboam II, who was the king of the northern kingdom. And that would suggest that the dates of Hosea's prophetic career, prophetic ministry, would be around 750 to 715 BC, somewhere during that period of time, kind of the middle of the 8th century BC. What most people know about the the book of Hosea is based on the first three chapters. Uh, Even though there are 14 chapters, Uh, What most people know about the book is actually the first three, because it is the intriguing story of the domestic life of the prophet, of uh, the prophet Hosea. And you'll remember from our previous study almost two years ago uh, that God called Hosea to actually have a family that would be an allegory or a picture of God's relationship with the nation of Israel. And in reality, then, Hosea, the prophet's domestic life, uh, really mirrored what God's relationship was with the Jewish people. In fact, you'll recall that the title of the series that we did two years ago from the book of Hosea was I love you truly. And remember from It's a Wonderful Life, you know, where Bert and Ernie, remember their names, Bert and Ernie, the cab driver and the cop, actually stand outside of uh, George Bailey and Mary's uh, honeymoon suite, which was that old leaky mansion. And they sang, I love you truly outside. And actually, that song carries the idea of unconditional love. And that's really the kind of love that God has 
for the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, so it can be said that God loves Israel truly. But that relationship that God has had with the Jewish people has been a relationship that has included the infidelity and the promiscuity of the, religiously speaking, of the Jewish people of the nation of Israel. And really the domestic life of the prophet is a picture of that. And so you have God telling Hosea in chapter one, God telling Hosea that he is to love a woman. And I think the idea is he already loved her, uh, but to love a woman, her name was Gomer, to love a woman who would be unfaithful to him. Now imagine the disappointment of that for a young man who's in love with a young lady and he believes that she's the greatest woman on the face of the earth. And God says ahead of time, go ahead, marry her. Although I should tell you that she's going to break your heart. I should tell you that she's going to be unfaithful to you, not once or twice, but many times. And that is exactly what God told Hoshea. Marry her, but she will be unfaithful to you. And there were three children born uh, from that union. And the names that God gave Hosea to give to the three children, two sons and a daughter, were names that really spoke a message of what was going to happen to the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. And so we learned that the first child was a son whose name was Jezreel. And that's Hebrew for God sows, or it could also be translated God scatters. Now, those two are really related to each other because remember, at that period of time in agriculture, the way in which sowing was done, not the way it's done now, but sowing was done uh, with, a, with the farmer who has a bag of seed and he walks out into the field and he scatters it in the field. So God sows, God scatters, same idea. And the name of that son, the firstborn son of Hosea and Gomer, was an indication that God was going to scatter the Jewish people in the future, which, of course, we know has happened and, frankly, continues to this day. Then there was a daughter who came along, and her name was Lo-Ruchamah. Lo-Ruchamah, and that's Hebrew for without pity. How would you like to be named without pity? And, of course, that was the message that God was giving that the time was going to come in his judgment of the Jewish people when, because they've turned their back on him for a period of time, he would turn his back on them. And he would be without pity as much as he would want to intervene and do something with them, he would hold back and would not pity them for a period of time. And then the third child, another son, whose name would be Lo-Ami, and that means not my people. There was a time when God said, is a time when God says of the Jewish people, you're not my people. Now, that doesn't mean that he has given up permanently on the nation of Israel. But rather it means because of their behavior and their conduct and their rebellion and their stubbornness, God is saying, I wipe my hands, I wash my hands of you. It is as if you are not my people. Ah, yes, but the scriptures make it clear, the prophets make it clear that there's a time coming in the future 
when even though there is a time when God says of Israel, you are not my people, there is a time coming in the future when God will say once again of Israel, not lo ami, you are not my people, because lo means not, lo ami, not my people, but he will say ami, you are my people. But that is the story of Hosea, the first three chapters. The rest of the book, chapters four, all through 14, really are all about Israel's deplorable conduct. Uh, in spite of the love that God had for them, the Jewish people, his special people, the chosen people, how did they respond? They responded with deplorable conduct, but it doesn't end there. Rather, the book culminates in God's persistent, stubborn love that I love you truly kind of love, which is going to lead in the future, the prophets say, to Israel's, the people of Israel's repentance and their restoration in relationship with him and ultimate blessing that is hard to imagine. So we're going to jump right in. And uh, if you would, please take your page of text, Hosea chapter five. And um, we're beginning with chapter five, the last verse because we need to have that, even though we considered it previously, as well as chapter six, verses one through three, we need to have this as kind of a backdrop for the rest of the book. And so Hosea chapter five, verse 15, God is speaking here. Uh, and this is what he says. He says, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress, earnestly seek me. So God is saying, that the time is coming when he is going to say to Israel, okay, you don't want to do it my way? You don't want to be bothered with me? Then I'll let you go. I'll just go, I'll return to my place and you do what you want to do. And then he says, until, until, that's the key because there is an, a, another episode, until they acknowledge their guilt. And when they acknowledge their guilt and when they seek his face, then in the midst of their distress, they will turn to God. Then we have the first three verses of Hosea chapter six. And this is now Israel speaking in the future. And in fact, it has not yet happened this way. I believe that we are beginning to see the movement in this direction. I really do believe that. But it hasn't happened yet completely. And this, this is what Israel will say in the future. Come, let us return to the Lord. That's repentance, by the way. Let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. What a beautiful picture that is. That God does love Israel truly. But God has had to discipline Israel. And that discipline has been a tearing in order that he might heal. And it has been a striking down in order that he might bind them up. And then it goes on to say, after two days, he, God, will revive us, Israel. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. It is Israel speaking and saying, even though the experience of the Jewish people seemingly has been long and arduous and difficult, 
the fact of the matter is, when we consider the end result, it's not really that long. After two days of basically being spiritually dead, he will revive us. It's a picture, really, of the dead coming back to life. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, after just two days, he will raise us up that we may live before him. If you see in there a reference to the resurrection of Jesus on the third day, it's because it's there. There is a large amount of reference in the New Testament to various passages in the book of Hosea, and this would be one of them. And then, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. The idea is that after this repentance by the Jewish people, they say, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. The sun comes up every morning. Sometimes it's covered by the clouds. Sometimes it's behind the rain. But the sun comes up every morning. And the faithfulness and the dependability of God to his people is just like that. Just like the dawn, so God is faithful and dependable. And Israel, in this repentant, restored condition, says he will come to us as the showers. You know how important rain is to Israel, to the land of Israel. And God, they say, will come to us as the rains. In fact, as the spring rains that water the earth. Now, most of the rain in Israel comes in the winter. It comes early in the winter, and then it comes a little bit later in the winter. But spring rain, that's an extra touch. And so as the spring rains that water the earth, that's a picture of the blessedness of knowing the Lord. But now, beyond that, Hosea chapter 6, verse 4. Uh, in verse 4, you almost sense the exasperation of God, his frustration with his people, spoken through the prophet Hosea. Here's God speaking to Hosea's contemporaries at that period of time in the middle of the 8th century BC. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? That's the northern kingdom, O Ephraim. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Have you as parents ever had that experience with your kids? What am I going to do with you? Well, this is God saying, what am I going to do with you? Uh, look how you're behaving. Look how you're conducting yourself. And then he goes on to say, your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. You see, there were periods of time when the Jewish people in their history seemingly had a warm spot in their heart for God. Oh, yes, we remember the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. We remember what God has done for our people. Oh, we love him. And then something else comes along that seemingly is more attractive. Oh, it could be another God or gods. It could be another religion of the Canaanite people around them. It could be something else. And all of a sudden, that interest that they have in God, that love that they have for God, is gone. Like that. 
like a morning cloud. You know, the idea is you get up in the morning and you see a cloud there. And then with the sun rising, all of a sudden that cloud is gone. Or like the dew that goes early away. You come out in the morning and you see the grass is wet. In a couple of hours, it's dry as a bone. And God says of Israel, this is the kind of love that you show to me. Remember, though, that's exactly the experience that Hosea had with his wife, Gomer. Oh, there were times when Gomer said, Hosea, I love you. I, 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 I'm so sorry that I've, I've hurt you. I, I'll never do it again. You can just be sure. I love you. I love you. And then all of a sudden, someone else comes along and offers her something that is more attractive. And poof, she's gone. And that is the experience that Hosea had that mirrors the experience that God has had with the Jewish people. Could you say maybe not just the Jewish people? Well, let's read on. And we find out that uh, God has used his word in the past to, to really try to get through to his people. And he's spoken his word through his prophets. And that is described uh, in verse 5. Therefore, because of what they're like, I have hewn them by the prophets. That word hewn means to cut or to hack through. I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. Because you see, at times the prophets would say, if you do not do what God wants you to do, you will experience the terrible consequences, and those consequences could be death. And so, in a sense, the mouth, the words of the prophets, have actually slain the Jewish people because they haven't obeyed them. And God says, my judgment goes forth as the light, just as a laser beam goes right to the heart of the matter. So God says, my judgments as expressed in my word through my prophets cut right through to the heart of the matter. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that just nails it in this regard. And that is, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces right to the to the heart of the matter divides soul from spirit and divides uh sinew from bone and that's the picture here of the word of god the rest of this passage is really a description of the jewish people of hosea's day and what characterized the jewish people of his day summarized in verse 6 verse 9 verse 7 and 8 verse 10 is this. First of all, empty religious ritual. Empty religious ritual. There was a lot of that going on. Then corrupt religious leaders. There were a lot of those. And then just overall wicked people. First of all, empty religious ritual. Verse 7. You might ask, well, were the Jews of the northern kingdom, and for that matter, the southern kingdom as well, were they not religious? And the answer is, oh, they were religious. I mean, they were religious people. They, they had it down. 
Uh, they offered sacrifices. They went through the religious motions, the religious activities. What does God say about that? This is what he says in verse six. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God rather than your burnt offerings. Now, the whole book of Leviticus is all about the details of the sacrificial system that God gave to the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, through Moses on Mount Sinai. What do you mean God doesn't want sacrifices or burnt offerings? Is that what he says here? No. What God is saying here is this. He is saying, if all you're going to do is go through the motions, then forget it. I don't want it. I want your heart. I don't want just empty formalism. You see, the whole idea of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament is that it was to be a reflection of the relationship that the Jewish people had with their God. And that relationship was demonstrated by means of the sacrificial system. But if there was no relationship, then what's the point of the sacrificial system? If the sacrificial system is supposed to be a demonstration of the relationship and there's no relationship, then forget the sacrificial system. And that's what God is saying here. There was a lot of empty religious ritual. And then there were a lot of corrupt religious leaders. Thankfully, it's the only period of time in history when there have been corrupt religious leaders. You're still with me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Verse 9. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. Not the kind of thing that you should say about holy men of God. They are like robbers. They, they work together as a group. And they're attacking people to try to get what they can from them. Is that not a description of corrupt religious leaders. Now, there are some commentators who say that this is something that the priests of Hosea's day were doing literally, that they were literally robbing people, and they were literally waiting along the road on the way to Shechem, which is a city in the uh, just north of Jerusalem, getting ready to attack people and kill them. I don't think that's the case. I think the idea is that the behavior of the corrupt religious leaders was like that of the robbers, who basically would lie in wait to attack people and to take things for themselves. And that certainly was the case here. And then verses 7 and 8 and verse 10 are just a general description of the wickedness of the Jews of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Verse 7, like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. Well, what was that all about? Well, well God put Adam in the garden. And he said, you can have the tree of the fruit of any tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. That was a, a covenant. That was an agreement that God made with Adam and Eve. You can eat anything that you want, but the one thing you can't eat. And what did Adam do? Or Eve first and then Adam? Well, they broke that covenant. Like Adam, they have transgressed the covenant. In other words, the Jews have broken their agreement, their covenant with God. They dealt faithlessly with me. Verse 8, Gilead is a city of evildoers tracked with blood. <clears throat> Gilead is that region that is on the eastern side of the Jordan River. The Jordan River runs north and south. 
and it runs out of the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee's up here. At the bottom of the Sea of Galilee is the Jordan River, and it runs all the way down, and then it runs into the Dead Sea, and that's where it ends. Well, this whole stretch of the Jordan River, just east of there, is the area of Gilead. And apparently, it was a place where the wickedness of the Jewish people was exceptional. Gilead is like a city, one city, even though it's a whole region, a city of evildoers that is tracked with blood. That's very interesting imagery. The idea is that if you, if you traveled through that land, you'd look down and there would be footprints on the ground. But it wouldn't be mud. It would be blood because there was such wickedness there in that place. And then we have verse 10. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Remember, Hosea's wife acted as a prostitute, as a whore. And so her behavior was symbolic and representative of the spiritual whorishness of the Jewish people. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. And the sum total of all of that is that the religious ritual, the corrupt religious leaders, the wicked people, the result was a guarantee of a harvest, but not a harvest that is good, but a harvest of judgment. So verse 11, for you also, O Judah. Remember, Hosea is not only prophesying to Ephraim in the north, but Judah as well. And he makes it clear here he's talking to both. For he says, for you also, O Judah. Well, that means that what he is saying to the northern kingdom, he's also saying to the southern kingdom, a harvest is appointed. And that is a harvest of judgment that certainly the Jewish people have experienced. Thanks for listening to Ancient Words, Modern Message. You can expect a new episode every other Monday, so please join us again. Ancient Words, Modern Message is supported by Hebrew Christian Fellowship. To learn more about our ministry or to ask a question, contact us at hcfellowship4819 at gmail.com. If you know someone who might be interested in this teaching, please share it with them. And please consider leaving a review of what you've heard on Apple Podcast. Your input helps us make our program even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for Ancient Words, Modern Message, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and tell us what you think. Ancient Words, Modern Message is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. And I'm your host, Roger Womble reminding you that the Word of God is living and active. Until next time, showers of blessings on you and those you love.